You're listening to Coleman Power on the Organic Fitness Podcast. All right, welcome to the latest Organic Fitness Podcast. And I have my host here with me, Paddy McCarthy. All right, he is a nutritional content producer, okay? He's a simple man. He has simple facts that he puts out no bullshit, okay, in relation to nutrition. The likes of himself has studied in Scandinavia, and he's a man after my own heart, all right? He's training people based on his nutritional knowledge in GAA, and he plays a bit of basketball, which I'm also a bit of a fan of myself too. All right, Paddy. How's it going, Colin? How are you? We're very good. We're um, After connecting finally, we were onto each other and following each other for a while there through social media and uh, finally got you on the Organic Fitness Podcast. It's good to have you, man. Thank you very much. Yeah, I was, uh, I was neck deep in thesis work. So as much as I wanted to get on, I, I couldn't even clear an hour in my day to kind of clear my mind to get on, but delighted to be able to do it now for sure. Good, good, good. I want to just briefly touch on a couple of things, okay, in relation to food choices and your thoughts on it. And if you want to tell the listeners maybe a small bit about yourself, something that I haven't mentioned or in relation to what you've done or brief history in your background. Yeah. So as you mentioned, have a, well, I'll go back to my bachelor's degree is in sport and exercise science. And so I kind of, in my early career would say I was going towards being a strength and conditioning coach or just um, a sports practitioner and it was within that course that I kind of came across the idea of nutrition and then decided I'm very interested in the impact that, you know, food choices can have on performance. And so went away to Copenhagen and me and my Irish bud, we went and studied a master's in human nutrition for two years and returned this year to Ireland and have been working since as a performance nutritionist with the senior Clare football team. And so, yeah, that's, oh, sorry. I, I suppose I'll mention that I have recently started my own, say, content channel, and I've called it Ubuntu Nutrition. And so that's kind of, hopefully I'll go full-time with that in years to come, but I suppose that's me. Brilliant. No, that's, um, I've, I've seen that, and you've just actually started your podcast. And we'll also yeah. be looking that up in the show notes. So I'm looking forward to that myself. And you said you're going to send me on the Excellent. first episode. So that'll be interesting, not only for your own listeners, but I'll hook it up in the show notes. So everyone, my followers, will also have a chance and opportunity to listen to what you got to say. Right. So we're going to go up at the first uh, topic. And it's really, we're going back to the, the simple things. Yet sometimes the simple things are the most important things. Okay. Carbohydrates. Okay. The effects on the body. What are your thoughts on in relation to that carbohydrates, the simple carbohydrates and the complex carbohydrates? We'll just try to break it down for people. Yeah, so I suppose just to go real simple, carbohydrates are, are, are that our muscles need. We break down carbohydrates of all different types to one product, glucose, which is a very simple, what we call sugar. And that glucose undergoes a series of processes to produce the energy that we need to move and contract our muscles. So there's no getting around that. You know, carbohydrates are the most efficient source of energy for our bodies. And when you're looking at complex and simple, the difference between those, 
it's just kind of within the name. So simple are, you would call them mono or disaccharides where they're basically one sugar unit or two sugar units. And you know, they're like fruit, uh, obviously like sweets, uh, energy drinks, where the sugar or the carbohydrate is absorbed very quickly into the bloodstream and it's available, you know, right away. And then complex, they're longer chains of, we'll say, sugar, sugars all attached to make these complex structure, structural carbohydrates. And obviously, they will provide energy in a much more um, drawn out way over like four or five hours throughout the day. And so some people call them complex, but they're also termed slow digesting. And they kind of provide a slow drip energy source. But then ultimately, it's important to understand that all carbohydrates come down to glucose. And glucose is what provides our bodies with energy. I think another important point is alcohol and it being a form of carbohydrate as well. Like people that I train still are unsure sometimes of what carbohydrate is and of what a protein is and what a food source that contains healthy fats or unhealthy fats. So alcohol is also a carbohydrate and people that I do train, even in, and this tip that I use myself is, if people are consuming alcohol, it's to take out a carbohydrate source throughout the day to minimize the effects of overloading on carbohydrates on that day individually. Do you ever come into contact with people who <laughs> consume alcohol on a regular basis and would not want to have a massive effect on their overall consumption of calories on that day? Um, yeah, so... It's a good point. I, I haven't really looked into, I think it's difficult to say, define how much carbohydrates are in different alcohols because of course. Everyone's you know, essentially, essentially it's a fermented sugar, right? But in terms of adjusting, say your daily intake to um, accommodate, you know, a couple beverages, absolutely, you know, absolutely. Because the studies show that I just actually did a study looking at first years in university and I was looking at the idea of the freshman 15, which is the idea that you gain 15 pounds in university. And that's obviously largely attributed to alcohol. And one of the main um, mechanisms that they're observing is that the students weren't reducing their food intake to accommodate for the 500 or 600 extra calories they're getting through their, their alcohol. And I always like when I'm working with people, I'm never going to say, cut out cut out alcohol but we have to understand that it is a macronutrient technically because it does contain seven calories per gram and so if you do want to kind of drink on a regular basis not a regular on a moderate basis would say that's completely fine once you're knowing that it's not free from calories you know it's a macronutrient as well it's one of the it's it's actually the fourth macronutrient that's kind of overlooked a lot everybody says we have three macronutrients but we have three food macronutrients would say you know, there's that fourth alcohol. That's it. And I, I, I tell people, this is the thing that I use. It's about that balance. So you take it, take something out if you have, if you have to put something in. So the likes of it being a carbohydrate or labeled typically as a carbohydrate, you take out some food source. As a result of that, you're bumping up your protein. And I, this is the strategy I use myself. I train that day as well. So it just minimizes the effect. Not optimal. It minimizes the effect of the Absolutely. consumption such as on a day that you are going to an event or going out for a couple of beverages. Just, that's an interesting point. Okay, we'll go on to the mm. likes of fats, okay? Healthy fats, often demonized. Fat makes you fat, however, it actually doesn't. But I would like to think your thoughts in relation to the likes of fats and healthy fats. 
Well, yeah. So I suppose the main point here is that we need fats to function. You know, we need fats to produce uh, hormones. We need fats to be incorporated into our cell membranes of every cell in our body. And they're needed to protect ourselves and to give structure to ourselves. So when people say like fat has kind of gained this demonized label, you know, over the past two decades, which is finally starting to dissipate, thank God. But one, one kind of important point here is that I think one of the reasons it was getting so demonized is because there's such a, there was such a high intake of saturated fat um, in the typical Western diet, this evolving Western diet that was so concentrated with processed foods. Um, so obviously to just break down simply of your saturated fats, which would be viewed as risk promoting, we'll say, instead of unhealthy. And basically saturated fat just means it's, we won't go into the chemical structure or anything like that, just means it's solid at room temperature. And then you have your unsaturated fats, which are seen as risk uh, mitigating or risk lowering, we'll say, and you have, they're broken down into monounsaturated and polyunsaturated fats. And yeah, so I suppose you don't want me to go into like omega threes and omega sixes or anything like that, but no, yeah, it's no, just no, you're, important you're right. to get a nice balance, you know. Too right. But the likes of examples of saturated fats that we should maybe minimize, and in your opinion, and the likes of something we might healthy fats that we could incorporate into our diet. What would you give examples of people that you train or people you come into contact with? I think just cutting down fried foods, cutting out processed foods as much as possible and instead of instead of so I, I tell you before i went and studied this masters i would actually on my instagram i would post healthy foods to to eat more of and unhealthy foods to stop eating which i was wrong in doing so i believe i don't think i was i don't think that's the right approach i don't think we should like demonize or cut out certain foods i think um you know, it always comes down to energy, but as a general recommendation, I would say to keep your saturated fat intake below, you know, 30% of your total fat intake, which is the general recommendation. I would say try to cut out processed foods as much as possible in moderation is okay. Once every week or two weeks and um, baked goods, you know, full fat dairy sometimes will be high in saturated fat, uh, cheeses, and, I, and when I say cut out, I don't mean cut out. I misspoke there. I would say cut down, you know, eat less of. There's that brand Precision Nutrition. I don't know if you look into them much. They're fantastic. And they, they just say eat less of instead of don't eat, you know. Um, and then you're going to get your, you know, your healthy unsaturated fats from things like, you know, um, healthy oils like olive oil, um, rapeseed oil, nuts, avocados, um, seeds, legumes, you know, there's a variety of foods. But That's, yeah. And I actually, I put up a post actually about it today. That's the typical oil. I'd love to actually know what typical cooking oil did you use? My preference would be extra or virgin olive oil, organic, um, would be the one I use on, on a regular basis, just for the balance of omega 3s and omega 6s, which is something mm. that I'm kind of a major fan of, just balancing the likes of those healthy fats in my diet. But what coconut oil do you use or do you recommend even people to use? Uh, see, I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd recommend a certain oil to use. I would just say whatever oil you're using, make sure you're accounting for that in your diet. You know what I mean? If there's like a big thing for people 
and that have come to me and they they just can't seem to lose weight well i'm like do you cook with oil yeah how much a teaspoon or two in every meal yeah well that's 500 600 calories that you have not accounted for you know but uh i would use i sometimes i use that spray if i'm just making a stir fry just literally because for a stir fry i don't feel like i need that much oil because you know i literally cook my my stir fries in about seven or eight minutes i like you know yeah, it's into the pan and it's straight back out as soon as it's as soon as the salmonella is cooked. <laughs> as soon as that's not. Um, but then, yeah, I would use like cold pressed rapeseed oil or cold pressed virgin olive oil. Yeah. Yeah. Just another one there that's good and stir fries that take in literally less than 10 minutes. I do that like quick organic fitness meal. And sometimes I don't use cooking oil. I just use the liquid, liquid from either the tempeh, yeah. liquid from the likes of the tofu. And when you do that, you can add the likes of salt. You can add the likes of pepper. You can add the likes of anything. Uh, veg stock is another one. That bouillon is the one I use. Literally, that's, that's instead of cooking oil. That will reduce mm. down the likes of your calorie consumption throughout that day in that meal for <clears throat> it being your lunch and or it being your main meal of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Like essentially I would just use oil. So my, my food doesn't stick to the pan, but I know a lot of other people would use it for flavor, but to be honest, I, I wouldn't miss, I wouldn't miss the teaspoon of oil left out of the meal. You know, I just, I spice it and throw about 10 different herbs in there just to make it, you know, I don't even use salt because there, I use so many herbs and spices, you know, they're my best friend. I have about 20 in the press. <laughs> Spices, major fan of those. Why? Because they're full of antioxidants. They reduce the likes of oxidative stress and they speed up recovery. But as a result of that, if you're not using coconut oil, where do you get your healthy fats throughout your day? Just be interested in that. So I would eat, uh, I make a smoothie every morning and then I throw a good bit of flax seed, chia seed. Um, I probably have some nuts throughout the day. I love avocado. Uh, legumes, you know, legumes would be a nice source of uh, unsaturated fats. So... You know, I, I wouldn't track or anything like that. I wouldn't count, but I usually go for that general recommendation of a thumb to two thumbs of healthy fats in each meal, you know? And if I'm not having my nuts with my meal, a little small handful of my nuts is that thumbprint of fats. Sorry, not thumbprint. But you know what I mean by the thumb? It index Have you size, seen that yes, recommendation? Yes. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Thumb, and you know, what's good about that is, yeah, exactly. But it's relative to the person. So... <laughs> If I am a six foot eight big, big guy who needs a lot more fats than, you know, a five foot five inactive woman, then the thumb is going to give me that to my, to, to my body size, which is fantastic about the hand portions. That's something that they, people don't realize. Yeah. Never realize that until this second. Yeah. Can't believe that. A bigger man has a bigger hand. A bigger man has a bigger thumb or a bigger woman, the case may be, or a smaller yeah. woman or a bigger man or a smaller man. Gee, that's, that's mind blowing right now. That's the cracker. That's going to be the seller. <laughs> well, you've you the master's in nutrition. Podcast that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. We go on to the third main macro. Now that we've had our chats in relation to fats and carbohydrates, protein. All right. It's often uh, said protein for those people who train, but really it's important and we'll discuss it here. Protein is not just for people who go to the gym. It's satiating. keeps fuller, people fuller for longer. But what are your recommendations for people to consume protein and foods would you recommend or do you yeah so just exactly like you say um it's for everyone elderly so just before i go into the recommendations i suppose when i was in my last year of exercise science 
we had this lecture and he's actually renowned low a renowned researcher in Ireland. Uh, Brendan Egan, you might have heard of him. He's very, uh, very well known in looking at preventing falls and hip fractures in the elderly by what he actually does is he has about two or 300 of these elderly people come in to DCU and he gives them all a protein shake. Now, for the people listening, can you imagine giving your grandmother or your grandfather a protein shake and their reaction to that? Get away with that stuff, you know? But it's essential, you know what I mean? It's essential because it's shown that the, the elderly people just do not consume enough protein. Um, anything near what they need to maintain levels of muscle mass or to prevent the, the, the sizable losses that occur with old age. But for me, I actually build all my meals starting with protein, you know, um, and that doesn't have to be animal-based protein because I know you're very interested in the kind of plant-based meals and things like that. Uh, and every now and then I'll go through a week or two where I'll just go plant-based, where I'll cut out, you know, meat, just, just to kind of change it up for no, for no particular reason in general, just to change it up, uh, change up the meals I'm eating. But I always do start with that protein from in the meals, make sure I'm getting my um we'll say 20 to 30 grams in each meal and instead of me giving i'd say a recommendation like grams i would just say use the portion sizes again and that is we know is two pan sizes sorry one to two pan sizes and if you're wondering whether i should have one or two if you're training every day if your goals are building muscle then you're going to go for the upper side of that range which is two and then if you're if you're someone that's inactive you're currently working in an office you don't get out and train a lot and you don't feel like you're going to be able to consume two pounds of protein in every meal then you go for the one and that's how the range works so and then so sources obviously we have our our complete sources of protein through animal-based products so obviously all meat and dairy and you have obviously your plant-based complete sources which you probably have a better idea of these than me because you're always you're always putting out great content about it, but you have tofu, or, uh, soy, tempeh, and um, what else do we have? We have ch- yeah. How do you say? Oh, yeah, that's actually that right? very good. Oh, we say quinoa. <laughs> it must be an American thing. No, no, honestly, I've like, oh, never heard of. <laughs> that's very funny. Like, I'd say, oh, quinoa, quinoa, whatever they're calling it these days, just put it in the pot. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's a, it's, it's a really important aspect of it though, Coleman, that I don't think a lot of people, uh, think about like the idea of complete protein. So in our body, there's nine amino acids, which are basically just the building blocks of, of protein. So the way I talked about glucose as the building block for carbohydrates, your amino acids would be the building blocks of protein. And there's a nine that we call essential amino acids that we actually cannot make in our body. Now we can produce the other 11. So there's 20 that we actually use in the body. We can produce 11 in our body, but we can produce nine of them. And so there's complete proteins, which just mentioned the animal sources and the plant-based ones we just talked about, and they contain all your essential amino acids. However, there's some out there, you know, some legumes, uh, some types of grains that don't have all the essential amino acids, which is why it's very important for, you know, plant-based eaters to consider that. And to make sure they're getting some of those complete sources because you need the complete to actually increase the the building of muscle, say. 
Of course, yeah, no, that, that is super important, especially for people who are going vegan or are going plant-based or are going vegetarian, whatever the case may be, it's important. And that's what I kind of do on my plates, my own particular plates and people that I train to. It's the combination of foods. And it's not just either chickpeas and rice or pasta. It's chickpeas, rice, pasta. Then you have another protein source in the likes of greens. So there is small amounts. And I would definitely recommend people to be eating a serving of 60 grams of the likes of spinach or kale. Okay, I know that's minimal grams of protein it might be even 1.5 or 2 grams of protein but in that then as well you have the likes of hemp seeds which is not only protein it also contains the likes of healthy fats in it as well but it's just understanding what food contains what macronutrient because they're all going to fall into mm. either or label straight away as either a protein a carbohydrate or a healthy fat but i get people to try and understand that themselves so they'll know that oh yes eggs are a complete protein okay Quinoa is a complete protein. Lentils are plant-based protein that are not containing all of the nine essential amino acids. However, if I combine it with the likes of chickpeas, I'm onto a winner. They're combining the two together, matching up, making up the likes of the, all those nine essential amino acids. What are your thoughts actually in, uh, on the topic of matching uh, incomplete and complete proteins? Would you reckon, or have you come across, should they be combined in the same meal or in whole throughout the all 24 hours of the eating process in terms of matching say incomplete proteins in the same meal to make a complete source a complete yes. protein meal say yeah so so the two we just mentioned some legumes and uh grains are actually known as complementary proteins where when they're combined they actually provide all the essential amino acids so there, and then you have, you'll have incomplete proteins, which you just, you like combining them with other food sources still won't make up what you need, but complementary proteins are, you know, uh, brown rice and we'll say kidney beans when you combine them or another one they like to say is uh, peanut butter on like a, bread. a wheat flatbread kind of thing like that. Yeah. Yeah. So combining them will provide you. And so I think, you know, like we could go down the road of listing all the foods that are complete, incomplete, complementary. But the best thing to do is just have a quick Google search. And for the most part, they'll give you a full list. And just so you know yourself, especially, it's very, very important for, you know, vegans or vegetarians, because a lot of, a lot of athletes that I've worked with, not that I've worked with a lot of plant-based athletes, but I've worked with a few, and it was just something they're, they're not aware of, that protein is protein to a lot of people. And that's, that's, it's very understandable because not everyone has a nutritional education like the, like the depth we go into. But uh, I just think that's a, a really important bit of knowledge, you know? No, it is. It, it, it is so important. And even the, like sometimes you, you get these drips, I call it, of information, whether it be on social media or from a friend. And it's important. Sometimes we're information overload, yet we're knowledge lacking. All that information is out there, yet we're just bombarded, whether it be from social media, whether it be from mates at, the, at going in the sports field or at the gym or people at work. They just go, oh, yeah, nuts contain protein. Right, I load up on the peanut butter. And then you go, well, that's kind of misinformation. It does have protein, incomplete protein, also contains fats, high percentage of fats. And as a result of that, then most people are typically, uh, with the right train, are looking for uh, weight loss or fat loss reduction. And that will not be optimal firstly for getting the protein and secondly for reducing down your body fat in that manner so it's important to understand foods and that's why i brought you on here paddy as well just to discuss kind of the, sim the simple proteins fats and carbohydrates and, and balanced meals is the next thing we're going to get onto and snacks so 
What are your opinions on snacking and the likes of people for in-between meals to keep them from getting them from either breakfast to lunch or from lunch to dinner? Or what's your approach to snacks? Um, so I've worked with people that love snacking. I love snacking. And then I've worked with people that they can't because they're not hungry in between their meals. I've, I've worked with people that can't control their hunger. They have a huge appetite. And then I've worked with people that have no appetite and they're force feeding themselves because they know they need to gain, you know, lean mass. And um, I would say it's completely down to preference, whether you want to snack or not. If you are someone that likes to snack, then incorporate the right kind of snacks. And for me, I always try to incorporate a healthy dose of protein in my snacks. And if I can, some fiber. Protein and fiber are going to keep me fuller and satiated for longer. And that's what you're doing with snacks, essentially, right? You're just trying to kind of um, fill yourself up until your next whole meal. And, you know, so things like some of my go-to snacks would be, we'll say a granola bar um, with some peanut butter, maybe obviously some fruit. I love chopped peppers. I love chopped carrots with some hummus um, some Greek yogurt with some uh, granola in there, maybe some seeds. Oh, geez, if I had to go through all the snacks. So I eat snacks, I love them, but yeah. So I always try to incorporate a dose of protein in there. Um, if you if you are someone that snacks and you have things that are like sh- like very simple sugars, so I know I said granola bars there. There are some granola bars out there that are very high in added sugars, you know, or chocolate bars or energy drinks or fizzy drinks. What happens is, like I said, the sugar is in its simplest form. So when you digest it, it goes straight into your bloodstream. It gives you this spike of blood sugar and insulin is produced and it takes that spike right back down. And so as your, as your blood sugar is plummeting, you get tired and food seeking behavior increases. So you actually, your hunger increases. And so that's why say a high carbohydrate snack with no protein at all might not be the best because it'll just, you know, an hour later, you'll have no energy from it and you'll be hungry again. No, I, I totally would agree with that. Uh, my go-to snack would probably be, I, what I even do with my snacks is I either try, and with the granola bars too, make my own. So then it's a balanced granola bar. Mm. It contains carbohydrates. It contains the, uh, carbohydrates in the oats. I make them from Plavins, organic oats. Then I have nuts, either from uh, chia seeds uh, with seeds, and almonds is another one because that's high protein as well. And then you have your protein. Did I say protein? You can hear people, some people need supplements and or you can get your complete protein when you're mixing the grain from the oats and your nuts as well. So that's, and a banana, I have bananas. See, it looks fantastic. I have to say that's, that's one of my go-to snacks, hands down. And, and I'm a major fan of people kind of cooking from scratch as well, because they can see yeah. what's in it. Instead of going, what's the ingredients list? You made it, you know what's in it. And as a result of that, you only put in what it's been recommended to you. So that's, that's why I prefer people to- Absolutely. Scratch. And Absolutely. And in general, I think that's a great rule of thumb. Just uh, the less ingredients, the better. Yeah. You just, as a, as a blanket statement, you know? Yeah. And on the same page you, there. you can ensure that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. I'm just going to move on here quickly in relation to, we'll go to our last question before we we'll do a bit of a wrap, wrap up and a recap. Okay. Thoughts on specific diets, whether it be the, 
we call it uh, keto diet, the vegan diet, vegetarian diet, or the carnivore diet, or any of those, intermittent fasting being another one. What are your thoughts in relation to any of those? Um, so my, uh, myself, I, I actually experiment with a lot of different diets, just purely out of interest. I love to just see how I react and to different dietary approaches and, and try them all, try them all. And it's, it's, it's just very interesting for me just to see how I react. But I would like to hammer home one kind of well-studied phenomenon, and that's most diets, the benefits that, they, that all these blogs or all these articles promote are usually just accrued through they're roundabout methods of getting us into an energy deficit. Most of these diets. Now, I'm not going to do things like the ketogenic diet for people with, you know, um, neuro. Or, sorry, something's happening with. You're okay. Okay. Can you still hear me? You are good. Yes. Yeah, apologies. Um, for things with diseases like epilepsy or conditions like epilepsy and things like that, you know, the ketogenic diet has been investigated there, but I can't speak to that. But just in terms of, I would say 90% of the people that come to me asking about these diets are asking about them for weight loss. And so what I would say to them is there's no, there's no studies to show that they provide any additional benefits outside of just controlling your energy intake. Because it does ultimately, when we're talking about body composition, it does ultimately come down to an energy balance, which is just calories in and calories out. And... Um, but saying that, just to give a quick example, the intermittent fasting approach for me is my 100% favorite because I like to get up in the morning and just get straight on the laptop and start work. You know, I don't have to think about breakfast and I actually have this kind of clarity, you know, but when I eat, it just kind of offsets that a small bit. So I'll usually get up and I'll just skip breakfast and I'll just, you know, I'll eat my first meal at around 12 or one when I start getting hungry again around lunchtime. And I don't do that because I'm trying to skip 800 calories that I'd usually take in, in the morning. I just get that because it's, I'm focused. You know what I mean? And I urge everyone to kind of not be afraid to try some of these diets, but not to become one of these, um, you know, these keto warriors where you're forcing it on everyone. It's all about personal preference. You know, if, you, if you're someone that can get in an, uh, an energy deficit using intermittent fasting, easier than you can by just controlling your calories. Perfect, you know? So yeah, I would say that's a long-winded take on diets. <laughs> no, and um, it's something that I, I, I've tried a lot of the diets as well. And one thing I would uh, like to touch on is people want to label you as either a vegetarian, as a vegan, as a person who does intermittent fasting. But really, I don't like to do that, whether... I say I'm plant-based or I just say that gives me a wide spectrum of room to play that if I had a food choice that did contain meat or that did contain dairy or that wasn't suited to uh, intermittent fasting, I ate breakfast in the morning if I went out with friends. Like when you put yourself into a single diet where you label it as whatever it is, you're restricting yourself. You're limiting yourself and you can't go outside. And if you go outside and you did something that wasn't in the rule book, you're labeled as, well, you didn't follow the such and such a diet that's not in the plan and when people do that you're you're limited and you can't go outside that and 
so that's why I get people to, and you touched on it, find them what works for you. Try a little mm. bit of this, try a little bit of that, try a bit of fasting, and mm-hmm. whatever works for you, double down on it. And whatever doesn't, you get rid of. And that works with the food choices as well, whether it's a plant-based diet or it's a certain type of vegetable, if you call it irritation with you, excessive bloating, you take that out from your diet, you add in another thing, trying things. And the whole thing is finding the one and the plan because if there was one diet if there was one food that we could all follow and one training plan we'd all be as fit and as healthy as we possibly could but it's about finding what works for you and that'll be my sixpence on the likes of fad diet i couldn't agree more absolutely i think i think that the label thing is very important as well because if you're someone that wants to try this plant-based diet if you're someone that is just interested in going vegetarian or vegan or whatever but you adopt this approach like for a Monday, I can't eat a single morsel of meat or dairy. Then if you do by accident go to a restaurant and the waiter didn't hear your order and they added in the extra cheese or something like that, and you find out you ate that, your world comes crashing down. And that was just a mindset. Because if you had gone to the restaurant and said, oh, there's cheese on that. Yeah, I'll have cheese. I'm plant-based. Like the word, the, plant, the, the label plant-based by definition means you're, you're, your diet's based around plant foods. It doesn't mean it's strictly plant foods. And so it's the exact same thing when it comes to just diets. If you go too restrictive, then one little glitch can throw your whole system into chaos and it can just lead to, it can just lead to you falling out of it completely. And then the other thing I would say is I had a teammate who would be a plant-based athlete, but he would, he would get invited over for dinners in, in my house and the other teammates and he would eat meat. And I remember asking him, when I'm vegan, he goes, I am 90% of the time. But he's like, I wouldn't call myself like a vegan, which is, I think is great because, I'm oh, sorry, I'll close this off now, but if you're, if you're eating plant-based, it's either for the proposed health benefits or it's for the ethical side of it, or it could be a combination of both. You know, eating a small bit of meat or a small bit of dairy isn't going to kind of cancel off or negate the impact you've had by going primarily plant-based. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I a hundred percent agree with you that it, the labels can be very detrimental and they, yeah. 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 Well, I'd say Patty, I just like to say thanks very much for coming on to the podcast. We got a load of uh, golden nuggets there between, the proteins, the fats, and the <laughs> nutritional advice in between snacking. And um, I just want you to point out where's the best place for the current listeners of this podcast to reach you and get in contact with you personally. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so I have my Instagram channel where at the moment I'm posting most of my content and I try to get a post up every one or two days. Uh, UbuntuNutrition.com or sorry, at UbuntuNutrition. And then I'm actually in the process approaching the launch of my website, which is basically going to be a content platform, a free content platform, which is ubuntunutrition.com. And yeah. Oh, I suppose the podcast that I just recently got up there, which is there we go podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So hopefully a few of your listeners will hop on over if they, if they took some value from today. Yeah, they certainly will. But I'll be tagging it all up in the show notes, Paddy. So um, don't worry about that. It'll be all there so they can copy and paste and bring it straight to your uh, Instagram, your website, as well as your new and latest uh, episode of your podcast. Great. Right, Paddy. I always end the podcast saying, stay tuned, stay classy, and keep it organic. Thanks.
You're listening to Coleman Power on the Organic Fitness Podcast.